So we're going to try to answer that question. It, of course, works on a presumption that Judaism is expensive. So um, I think that's true. Um, it's no secret today that um, it costs to be Jewish. And there are... There are a number of different... There are a number of different... Sorry? You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for, yes. There are a number of, when we speak about Judaism costing money or being expensive, there are a number of different parts to that. So I'm going to try to break it up. So firstly, um, many synagogues simply charge you to walk in on certain days. Um, you may have seen such a place before where you, and you walk to the front door. There's someone standing there with a ticket, uh, asking for tickets. You don't have a ticket. You cannot go in. And uh, you may have heard the story of the fellow who needed to get a message over to his brother who was in the synagogue. He is a member of a different synagogue. He walks in on Rosh Hashanah. And they tell him, I'm sorry, you don't have a ticket, you cannot go in. He said, I'm not going in to pray, I'm just going in to tell my brother something and coming right out. So the guard says, all right, I'll let you in, but I better not catch you praying. <laughs> so um, so it, it costs. Um, many um, synagogues further charge membership in general, just to be part of the synagogue. They'll require you to pay membership to get access to religious services at the synagogue. Uh, but in fact, many services also cost on their own. Whether you have a child and you want to give them a bris, whether you want to make a bar mitzvah, they're not cheap. Um, not every part of the bar mitzvah is necessarily required. Um, you probably could manage without the photographer and the videographer. They definitely didn't have it in Moses' days. But it, it still costs, even if you just do the service, it's going to cost you a wedding service, a funeral and so there are um, expenses. In addition, Jewish education can be expensive as well. If you have children going to a Jewish school, that you've got to pay tuition. That can be very, very pricey. Um, even if you just have your child going to Sunday school, um, just going on Sunday or after school a couple hours a week, that can be expensive too. And even adults that want to go study, um, it can cost money uh, for that as well. Uh, I'm leaving out the preschool and the summer camps because that you've got to pay for regardless. I'm not sure that being Jewish is going to be more expensive. Um, but um, So even adults that want to study, often it can cost them money as well. And uh, many particular mitzvahs that are pricey too. A um, Jewish male that wants to lay tefillin every day to purchase a pair of tefillin is not cheap. Pair of tefillin goes for $400 or so um, at, for the most basic pair, and then the prices go up from there. You want to buy mezuzahs for your home. The mitzvah is to put a mezuzah on every single door. Mezuzahs start at $40 a piece. If you have a lot of doors in your home, which many of us do today, it can get very pricey. Um, if you want to start, there's more expensive mezuzahs that can be even more expensive. Even Jewish holidays can be expensive. Celebrating Passover is no cheap um, undertaking. Um, ideally, one should have Shemura Matzah, the handmade matzah, um, for their Passover Seder. Now, handmade things are not cheap at all, and neither is handmade matzah, which costs you about $2 or $3 a matzah. Um, so they're not, it's not cheap. And then, of course, making a Seder, especially if you want to bring the family along, um, would not be cheap either. Other mitzvahs, Jewish holidays, 
um, even buying a lulav and etrog for sukkahs, purchasing a sukkah, your Hanukkah menorah and Hanukkah candles, um, all these things cost money, right? Nothing is cheap. Nothing is, none of these things are free. Then, on top of all that, um, if we keep kosher, anybody who keeps kosher knows, firstly, you've got to have double of everything in your kitchen. That's two ovens, two sets of dishes, two sets of pots and pans. You've got a lot more things you need um, in your kitchen. And then, on top of that, um, just buying kosher food, kosher meat, could be double the price of non-kosher meat. It's much, much more expensive. Kosher restaurants, kosher bakeries, kosher supermarkets, just make, they're much more expensive than if you would just go into Ralph's and buy everything there non-kosher. So it adds to the cost of being Jewish. So our question then is, why is Judaism so expensive? Should Judaism be expensive? Does God want us to pay a premium for being Jewish? Should there be an extra cost to be Jewish? And uh, can we be close to God and make God happy without paying a small fortune? What about people who simply cannot afford, simply don't have the money for all this extra Jewish religious costs that, involve be in, that are involved in being Jewish? Now, I don't have much experience with other religions um, because I've always worked with Jews and in Judaism. Uh, but from my understanding, um, most other religions don't have the same costs that are associated with being Jewish. Some do. Some charge you tithes and charge you a big percentage of your um, income have to, go to, um, have to go to the church or whatever it is. But uh, many of them are not all that expensive. Um, all this, of course, is besides the mitzvah of giving charity and the mitzvah of giving tithes, which are separate mitzvahs, separate commandments. But just the ritual side of Judaism seems to be very expensive. So to address the intersection of Judaism and money, I'm going to break this. And this is going to a little bit overlap with a class we did a few weeks ago about whether God wants us to be wealthy. And so um, we'll touch on some of the things that we mentioned over there. But we're, I'm going to break this up into a couple different parts because there's a lot of different expenses, as we saw in Judaism. So I'm going to break this up into different things so we can go through them because each one has a different answer. There's a couple different answers to this question depending on the specific expenses that we are referring to. So first thing, we're going to look at charging in general for Torah, for mitzvahs. We'll look at charging in general, whether there should be a cost to them. We'll look at the costs of Jewish education. Then thirdly, we'll look at synagogue and community fees and dues. Then we'll look at the cost of mitzvahs, paying for our Jewish rituals. And then finally, we're going to look at the overall communal costs to keeping Judaism alive as a community. So we're going to look at these one at a time, and then hopefully we'll be able to we'll sum it all up at the end. So let's start with the question of charging for Torah and for mitzvahs. So if someone would like to study Torah, someone would like help in doing a mitzvah, can I charge them for it? So in the Torah, later, much later in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, in the portion of the Eschanan, in the second portion of Deuteronomy, Moshe tells the people, See, 
I have taught you laws and rules. See, I have taught you. And our sages comment, our tradition tells us, because every word in the Torah, of course, has meaning. What does Moses mean? See, I have taught you. See what? So our sages say, Ma'ani bechinam af'atem bechinam. Just as I did not charge, so too you cannot charge. So Moses himself did not take a salary. He led Israel for four, out of Egypt. He led them for 40 years in the desert. He never took a salary. Not only he didn't take a salary, he didn't, take, he didn't even use communal things at all. He didn't later, at one point in the Torah, he says, I did not even take a donkey or a horse to ride on as I traveled out of Egypt. I didn't ask you to supply it for me. I used my own. Never, Moses never took a cent. Now, to be honest, he probably could have managed just fine without the salary because what did he need to pay for in the desert? The food he got was manna. He got manna. Um, he lived in a tent like all of Israel. Um, they, uh, their cloth- they, the to- later the Torah says that their clothing grew on them and never got dirty or soiled. Um, so they, their clothing lasted for 40 years. Um, they were, he didn't have to pay his cell phone bill. Um, so there was, he had no cars. So um, there were no expenses. Moses really didn't need a salary. He could have still taken one um, had he wanted, but he did not. Why, he says, I taught you Torah, I did not charge you for it. You too, if you teach someone Torah, you cannot charge for it. Torah is free. It it must be supplied to all Jews, anyone who is part of God's covenant, it must be supplied for free. There cannot be any charge to Torah, there cannot be any charge for a mitzvah. Someone wants help doing a mitzvah, you cannot charge for a mitzvah. Now for an item of a mitzvah, in other words, for something that you need to do a mitzvah with, say for the covering of your sukkah, that you can charge for the item. I'm selling you an item. But for the mitzvah itself, to help you do a mitzvah, if you ask for my help in doing a mitzvah, I have to help you for free. I cannot charge you. This is our responsibility to God to make sure that every single Jew study Torah and every single Jew study mitzvahs. So we simply cannot make money off God. You cannot tell someone, God wants you to study Torah, I'll help you, but pay me for it. God wants you to do a mitzvah, I'll help you, but you got to pay me for it. So we cannot charge for Torah or for teaching Torah or for help with a mitzvah. You cannot make money of God. Now, this leads to a challenge. What about people that are working in spiritual work, like myself, for example? If we work in spiritual work for all time, say you're a rabbi, you're a teacher, how do you live? How are you going to live if you don't charge? How do you survive? What do you do? So now, in, the, in theory, the idea would be not to take any money whatsoever for it and to um, somehow manage without charging whatsoever. And there were Jewish leaders and teachers in history who had other jobs allowing them to teach 
and serve the community without taking any money. There were such individuals throughout our history. However, from the beginning of our history, it's been clear that such a system is unsustainable. In other words, having all of our rabbis and all of our scholars and all of our mohels and sofers and everyone who's servicing in Judaism, um, having them all working, doing it as a hobby outside of a full-time job is unrealistic because your scholars won't be very scholarly if it's simply a hobby and not a full-time role. Your religious leaders won't be very dedicated if it's only a hobby and not a full-time role. It's not very realistic. And so Jewish law allows for anyone who is teaching Torah full-time or providing other communal or religious services for the community is allowed to take a stipend. In other words, we're allowed to have the community pay us a stipend to allow us to be able to service the community. So we cannot charge for the Torah for the mitzvahs, but we can get a stipend. And indeed, that's what we have done throughout our history. Both students and teachers and scholars um, <coughs> provide a, our, the community needs them, and therefore the Jewish community throughout our history has provided them a stipend to allow them to... Um, to allow them to live and support their family while they are um, so while they are providing Torah or mitzvah services, religious services to the community. So we cannot charge for our work, but we can take a stipend to essentially charge for our time. Um, not charge, but we can um, we we can take money that will allow us to live. Cannot get rich off it. But you can take a stipend. So, I'll take another question. So, that means that if someone says, Teach me Torah, I cannot say, Pay me and I will teach you Torah. That would be wrong. How can I charge someone to teach them Torah? What I can tell them is, Well, I would love to teach you Torah, but I'm busy right now with my paying job because I need to support my family. And so if you would like me to take time off my paying job to teach you Torah, if you can pay me instead for my time, then I'd be glad to teach you Torah. So we cannot charge for the Torah itself. We cannot charge for our teaching skills, but we can charge for time. We can also... Um, so in general, therefore, we should avoid charging for specific classes or specific services, but rather take um, overall um, rather take overall stipends, which is what Jewish function religious functionaries have done throughout our history. People that provide specific services, like a mohel, somebody who is a um, makes a bris, it's a mitzvah. They cannot really charge for doing a mitzvah. But what they can do, then a moel should not charge. But and so, in some communities, historically, the community just paid them a stipend. In other communities, um, the or what usually happens today is when someone uses their services, they essentially give them a tip. They don't charge for it, but they give them a tip, and that is how they live. They live off those tips um, that the people who use their services give them. So, but, um, so we are, though, allowed, while we cannot charge for Torah, we are allowed to charge for non-Torah costs incurred 
with more sophisticated teaching. For example, a school is allowed to charge for secular teaching, secular subjects, non-religious subjects. We can also charge for classroom costs. It costs money to have a classroom, right? It also costs money for textbooks. Um, other important things, other um, uh, certain teaching techniques may cost money. Other things cost money. We can charge for that without actually charging for the Torah itself. We can, of course, if we serve a breakfast, we can charge for the breakfast, something that we do not do here. We have sponsored, but uh, we could if we wanted to. And um, that way, I just have people pay for the food they're eating, but not for the Torah that they are studying. So it's crucial to keep in mind, though, that Judaism is not... So while we, those that service Judaism full-time can take a stipend, Judaism is not, should not, can never be a business. If it's being run as a business, that is wrong, and Jewish law forbids that. We definitely should never turn someone away from Judaism or from a Jewish service or from a mitzvah or from studying Torah because they cannot pay. Judaism is not a mitzvah. We are here to help people get closer to God. We as Jews have responsibility to ensure that every other Jew studies Torah and does mitzvahs. So we cannot charge someone for it. Um, and while there may be costs required along with it, those that cannot pay should never be turned away because of it. So that's for Torah, charging for Torah and mitzvahs in general. We cannot charge those that do it full time can take a communal stipend and people can give tips to their teachers or to, their, um, or to people who serve a specific mitzvah, such as a moel, someone doing a bris. There's one particular unique cost in Jewish education, in Judaism that we face today that although it really is part of the same category, I want to address it separately because it is our biggest issue as a Jewish community and it needs to be addressed, and that is Jewish education. Jewish education, teaching Torah, ideally we should not charge for teaching Torah. As we mentioned, teaching Torah to children, that is. As we mentioned, firstly, people that teach Torah full-time, that is, religious teachers in Jewish schools, need to get paid. They need to be able to survive. So they need to get a stipend. In addition, today, while once upon a time, schools had a cheder, you may have heard of the cheder before, which was essentially an all-religious school where... Um, the costs were they just taught Jewish studies, the costs were not all that high. They had to pay the teacher's salary and maybe the school um, the for the classrooms themselves. Um, today, Jewish school involves a lot more than that. Today, Jewish school involves also um, teachers that teach general subjects, English, math, science, all of which are not part of teaching Torah, but necessary because... How else are the kids going to learn it if they're in a Jewish school? And other extracurricular activities that are maybe not as necessary, but the parents want. And if you want to give the kids a good Jewish education and get kids in the school, you need to offer it. So today there are many, many other expenses um, that come with a Jewish education. Once upon a time, every Jewish child went to community-funded schools. There was no cost to educate your child. 
Unfortunately, today, communities are no longer organized the way they once were. And unfortunately, today, the general Jewish community no longer prioritizes Jewish education. And because of that, Jewish education, which is extremely expensive um, to teach children, um, it costs us about $15,000 per child to teach a child um, per year. It's very expensive to teach. You've got to pay those teachers, and um, uh, you've got to pay the salary, and uh, you don't want class sizes that are too large, and there's multiple teachers um, in a Jewish school, religious teachers and general teachers, and extracurricular and um, administrative costs and other costs. And so it gets fairly, fairly expensive. And unfortunately, um, because the general Jewish community does not help enough, most school Jewish schools today are forced to charge tuition. Um, furthermore, in the United States is unique. It's the only Western country um, in the world that doesn't offer any um, or it varies from state to state, but most states, and definitely California, do not offer any, um, any funding, any um, tax funding for private Jewish education, um, which means that Jewish families that want to pay for their child, for that want to send their child to a Jewish school, are essentially double paying because you're paying your state taxes and your property taxes to fund everybody else's public education, and then you're paying again for your own child separately. So um, nevertheless, Jewish schools are forced to charge tuition. Usually that doesn't cover, and the community has to step in as well in order to cover the cost of Jewish schools. The ideal would be for schools not to have to charge tuition. Unfortunately, we are not at that point yet. Definitely a Jewish school should never turn away a child because the parents cannot afford to pay tuition, and that is our policy here at our own school that we have here with the JCC, um, that the, JC, the community has helped a lot um, to ensure that no Jewish child shall ever be turned away from a Jewish education because the parents cannot afford to pay the full tuition. So, but in general, as we said, ideally, the Jewish education should be something, if we could, that we would not charge for but somebody's got to pay for it, and ideally the Jewish community has to be able to fund that. Unfortunately, our community here is not at that point yet, and this, I'm not talking about our specific community, but in general, the Jewish communities across the United States. Now, there's another charge talking about expenses in Judaism. There's another charge, which for many may be the greatest expense in Judaism, the United States, uh, Judaism in the United States today is often associated with synagogue membership. In fact, in surveys that they do about being Jewish, um, they often will ask you about your synagogue membership, assuming that everyone has synagogue membership. And often people ask, presume that your identification as a Jew is based on your synagogue membership. What type of synagogue do you pay dues to? And to be, so be, to be part of a synagogue, to receive religious services, to be able to go to shul, um, often you are expected to pay membership somewhere. Now, how did that happen? Before coming to the United States, we lived in other countries, mostly in Eastern Europe, where we were part of, or in the Middle East, where we were part of an officially recognized Jewish community called the Kehillah. 
Now, membership in the Kehila, in the Jewish community, firstly, the Kehila was geographic. Each city, each town had its own Kehila. Sometimes each region had its own Kehila. Sometimes each country had its own Kehila. Depending on where you lived, you were part of that Kehila. Membership in the Jewish community was automatic for all Jews. If you were Jewish, you didn't really have a choice. If you were Jewish and you lived in this city, you were automatically a member of the Kehillah of the Jewish community, unless you became no longer Jewish by converting to Christianity. That was, or converting to Islam if you lived in the Islamic world. So that was the way Judaism always worked um, throughout most of our history. Every Jew was automatically part of the community. The community provided services, including paying for synagogues, Jewish cemeteries, um, Jewish education, uh, paying the rabbis' salaries and the teachers' salaries, and uh, often also providing social services, paying for the community hospital and the orphanage, and paying stipends to the elderly and the like, was all provided for by the kahila, the Jewish community. Now the kahilas generally had a certain power to allow them to tax local Jews. So how did they pay for all of these things? It wasn't only from voluntary donations from very generous Jews, which it may have been also, but also they had a tax system. You essentially were forced to pay tax to the kahila. The government didn't supply any of your needs, um, so you had to pay your government taxes as well, but they didn't supply most of these needs. Your medical care and your... um, education, and many other needs were supplied for by the kahila, and you had to pay them your taxes. That was the way it always worked. However, when we came to the United States, things were different. There is no official government-recognized kahila in the United States. There is no official Jewish community. A Jew is not automatically part of anything living in the United States. So, how do we get religious services? How do we get our education covered? How do we get things covered? So, Jews, when they came to the United States, essentially coalesced around synagogues. And the synagogue essentially became the substitute for the kahila. And so Jews would be part of a synagogue. The synagogue would pay the rabbi. The synagogue would pay for religious services. The synagogue would provide often the Jewish education. The synagogue would provide sometimes even the funeral and would provide sometimes other services. And it all revolved around a synagogue. How did the synagogue pay for it? So similar to the way the Kehillah used to do it, they, used to ascend, they essentially began to tax people who were part of the synagogue, which eventually created what we could call a club-like Judaism. Every Jew, if you want to be get religious services, have access to a synagogue to pray, have access to other religious services, you need to be part of a club. You need to choose your synagogue club that you are going to be part of. Some synagogues are of higher status, some may be not of such high status, and they charge you um, fees and membership and dues in order to um, keep you paid, now, in, order to, in order to survive. Now, in order to keep members in the synagogue, 
um, the synagogues needed because they could always go off to the next synagogue. There was now competition or they could choose to go to no synagogue. Um, it's free. It's open. We live in an open society, unlike the way we used to live in Europe. So what do you do? So the synagogues needed a leash. So, of course, they had Jewish guilt. They guilt us into paying, but that wasn't always good enough. So they tied the fees to Jewish services. If you want your kid bar mitzvahed, need to pay membership. If you want access to funeral services, you need to pay membership. And when that didn't seem to work, they took it even further. If you want a seat in the synagogue on certain days of the year, need to pay membership. So essentially what we've done in the United States, because we didn't have a kahila system as other we had in other places, unfortunately what's happened is Judaism became a series of clubs, and every synagogue clubs, and every Jew is expected to be, or um, it then becomes part of a synagogue club, and uh, in order to get access to a synagogue, if you cannot afford to be part of the club, well, a lot of synagogues will then allow people to have scholarships, have uh, ways people could be pay members without paying full dues. Often, they make, these, uh, they make it very hard to get these reduced fees, Often they make it very demeaning, and so that leads to many Jews have the option to walk away with their feet. Unfortunately, what this has created in the United States, because of this system, this club system that we've created in this country, and because of the expense that goes along with this club system, and because some Jews just don't want to be part of a club, or don't want to tie themselves to one place or another, or simply cannot afford it, so unfortunately, many Jews just walk away. And if the leash is that you don't get a seat in the synagogue, then they don't go to synagogue. If it means that your child won't be bar mitzvah, then they won't bar mitzvah their children. And so many Jews have then simply walked away from Judaism altogether because they did not want to be part of this club-like system of Judaism. Some people have had horrible experiences. I've heard many of these stories of being refused a Jewish service or turned away from a shul because they did not have a ticket, as I told you earlier. For that reason, Chabad has chosen, recognizing this problem and recognizing that really, as we said, Moses says, Ma'ani bechinam af'atem bechinam. Just as I didn't charge you, you should not be charging for Judaism. And Judaism, we cannot tie Judaism. While yes, it costs money. And yes, if we had a ta- the ability to tax as the Kilas once did, we would. Yet, we cannot tie Judaism and Jewish services to cost. Moses already warned us against that. And we see the horrible results. And I think we could fairly say that the number one reason why um, the United States has the biggest, um, the greatest um, challenge of a Jewish assimilation that our people have ever faced in our history is the Jewish community in the United States. I think we can fairly say that one of the most, one of the main factors is the club synagogue membership system. So, therefore, and recognizing this problem, Chabad has therefore created synagogues that do not charge for services. You don't have to pay to go to shul. Shul is open to any Jew who wants. And (coughs) do not charge for um, other services. We don't charge you to... um, 
We don't charge you for religious services. We don't charge you um, for to. Uh, we won't give you a bar. Won't refuse a bar mitzvah if you can't pay, and won't refuse other services if you cannot pay. And uh, we won't even charge you generally to study Torah. Unfortunately, though, Chabad, like um, any other Jewish community in history, still needs to figure out a way to keep the lights on. You've got to keep the lights on. You've got to still pay the mortgage if you have a building or pay the rent. Um, someone's got to pay for it. It doesn't come from nowhere. So the uh, model that Chabad has used, and we don't have the tax ability that we once had in earlier communities, where we could tax our community. So what we have done, and we have used fairly successfully, is we've relied on the generosity of people in the community that appreciate what we are doing, and thankfully that has kept the lights on. And as you can see, they are still on and hopefully will continue to remain on. So now, so that's as far as synagogues. Now what about paying for mitzvahs? So while money had, should never get between a Jew and God, there is a cost for certain mitzvahs. For one, while we said you cannot charge for, to study Torah, or you cannot charge for a mitzvah to help someone do a mitzvah, you can charge someone for items they will need for a mitzvah. So if someone wants to buy a pair of tefillin, you can charge them for the pair of tefillin they will need for the mitzvah. Or if they want to buy an esrog to shake on Sukkot, you're allowed to charge them for the etrog. Or if someone wants to buy matzah for Passover, you can charge them for matzah. You can charge for what we call cheftze mitzvah, for items that will be used for a mitzvah. So there can, st- and there is still a cost associated with doing mitzvahs. Now, we as a community need to take care of everybody in need, both people who need their basic necessities, food, clothing, shelter, health care taken care of. We also need to ensure that Jews that cannot afford to do mitzvahs have that taken care of as well. So a Jew who cannot afford a mezuzah for their home, we as a community have a responsibility to ensure that we help them purchase that mezuzah. A Jew who cannot afford tefillin, we as a community need to ensure that we help them purchase that tefillin. So we need to help them be able to afford mitzvahs. Yet there is this cost with associated with Judaism. Similarly, as we said, keeping kosher has a cost to it as well. Kosher meat costs more than non-kosher meat. A Jew who cannot afford kosher, uh, we should help them, ensure that they have food, kosher food to eat. Yet, for those who can, it's more expensive. It is more expensive both um, Jewish um, rituals as well as keeping kosher and other Jewish things do have an added expense. We believe that we should be prepared to pay for Judaism, be prepared to pay extra to be Jewish. The Torah tells us, and we say this in the Shema every day, Vahafta es Hashem elokecha, you shall love Hashem your God, v'chol levavcha, with all your heart, Bechal nafshecha with all your soul, or bechal miodecha, and with all of your resources or money. So our sages say you must love God with all your heart, 
must love God with your life, with your, with your life as well. And you must love God with your resources. You must be prepared, if you like, love God, you must be prepared to spend for Him. So can Judaism be expensive? Yes, it can. But if you care about God, and you care about Judaism, you have to be prepared to pay for it. After all, we pay for things that are important. We pay for things that we value. Things that are meaningful to us, we are prepared to pay for. Not only do we pay for personal pleasure and pay for status, but we find things for meaning. We pay for things that we find meaningful. Or we pay to help other people. We love someone, we'll buy them gifts. Or we'll pay for things that they want. We're prepared to help to pay for others whom we care about. We're prepared to pay for things that we value. If we value God, and we value Torah, and we value Judaism, we have to be prepared to pay for what God asks us to do. If we find Judaism meaningful, we have to be prepared to pay for it, even if it's not cheap. Furthermore, we believe, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago when we spoke about whether God wants us to be wealthy, that everything that we have comes from God. In fact, when we, when we write our name on things, we have a Jewish tradition that whenever we write our name, before writing your name on something, we always first write the Hebrew letters, Lamed Hey Vav, which is an acronym. It stands for La Hashem Haaretz Um Lo'o. To God is the earth and everything in it. So in other words, what we are writing, which is actually a verse from Psalms 24. When we write, whenever we write our name, we essentially are writing, this belongs to God in care of yourself. Everything you have belongs to God. Nothing truly belongs to ourselves. So when we are using something for something that God asked us to do, and we are using our resources for what God asks us to do, we are essentially using God's money for himself. It's like when your spouse asks you for something, it's not that you are using your money to get something for them because you share your, your resources. You're using your pooled resources to get something that you both want. Here it's even more. Everything that we own, essentially God owns. So we are using something that God owns in order to give him what he wants. After all, it's his money. And in fact, it's the most important use of our money is to spend, them for, to spend it on mitzvahs. That is why, because we value God so much, and because spending on mitzvahs is the best thing we can do with our resources, not only should we be prepared to spend for God, we should try to spend as much as we can for God. When you are purchasing to do a mitzvah, there's different ways to do it. You can do it in the basic way. Say you are buying a mezuzah. We sell in our store $40 mezuzahs. But that mezuzah is a very, very basic mezuzah written by an amateur scribe. With the, it's kosher, 
But if you open the mezuzah, it's not the neatest and most perfect mezuzah. But then there are more expensive mezuzahs. We have in our store $75 mezuzahs. You could get $100 mezuzahs, $200 mezuzahs. The more you spend on God, if you can afford it, the better. After all, when you drive a car, you could be driving a little hatchback, or you could be driving a mid-level car, or a nicer car, when you're buying a Tesla. When you're buying now, not, you don't necessarily need those nicer cars, and I'm not advocating that you should, but if you have a choice to spend on a nicer car, or spend on a nicer mezuzah, where should your preference lie? If you have in an etrog, even in etrogs, you can, the Torah tells to purchase a nice etrog. If you have a chance to purchase a basic etrog, which can cost you $50, or purchase a nice etrog, which can cost you $500, purchase a nice one. If you can afford it, if you're ready to pay for the Lexus, why wouldn't you pay, which is a lot more than that, why wouldn't you pay for the nice etro? For that reason, we Jews historically have always tried to beautify mitzvahs. So if you're going to make Kiddush, you can make Kiddush with using a regular cup of wine. But why use a regular cup when you can use a silver cup? And that's why Jews historically have used silver cups. Why, why do a mitzvah with something cheap if you can do it nice? When you're lighting Shabbat candles, why light with plain tea lights if you could use silver candlesticks? Make the mitzvah nice. And Jews historically, Jewish women, have always used silver candlesticks for the lighting. If you can make your Seder, why use a regular Seder plate when you can use a silver Seder plate? And so on. When you do a mitzvah, you can do it in the you can do it in a basic way. You can do it in the nicest way, in the most beautiful way. And we have a special word for that in Hebrew: hidur mitzvah, beautify a mitzvah. Use your resources that you have that God blessed you with, not just to do the mitzvah in the basic way. If God is meaningful for you, you will do it in the best possible way. If you know your wife likes flowers, you can buy her a single flower or a little cheap bouquet. You can buy her something nice. You're going to buy her a piece of jewelry, right? You can buy um, CZ. Today they have the um, glass. Or you can buy diamond. Not everyone can afford diamond. But if you can and you care about her, you want to get something nice. So the same thing is also, if you care for God, why do a basic mitzvah? You want to do, if you can afford it, do it in the best possible way. After all, the money that God gave you, He gave you in order that you should use it for spiritual purpose. You should be able to use it for God. Of course, we need it for our other expenses. We need to be able to live on it. And it's okay to spend on other things. But at the same time, we should try to uh, spend on God in the best possible way. But not only does it cost to do mitzvahs, but the truth is that keeping Judaism going costs as well. We explained a few weeks ago when we spoke about why God wants us to be wealthy and why God wants us to work hard and do well financially because all that money that we have, just as the money that God gave the 
um, the Israel, when they left Egypt, was in order to use it for the right reason, for God. He gave us gold when we left Egypt to use it to build the Mishkan. After all, the reason why he made money and he made gold was for us to be able to use it to serve God. That's what we were created for. So it's there. It's not why use our gold for God, as we phrased it a few weeks ago. But it is gold is made for God. God made gold. And the purpose of the gold is to use it for him. We could use it for other things as well, but its main purpose is to use for God. So in order for Judaism to survive and to thrive, not only do we have to pay for our own personal rituals, such as buying um, mezuzah or buying tefillin or buying candlesticks um, or matzah for Passover, not only do we want to beautify our mitzvahs in the best possible way, but we also need to ensure as a community that we have what it takes. We need synagogues to be built. And why build a cheap, dingy synagogue if you could build a nice, beautiful synagogue? As King Solomon put it when he built the temple, I am living in a nice house. Sorry, King David put it. I am living in a nice palace and God is not going to live in something nicer? Am I not going to build something more beautiful for God? And so we as a community need to build synagogues. And if we are, we should make them nice. We as a community also need to have, uh, what, need to have Torah scrolls in that synagogue. You could have, a, again, a basic Torah scroll or have something nice. And then we need to have teachers we need to have schools. We need to provide education. We need to keep our community functioning. Um, we need to help others in need. So we have a responsibility to fund all these things as well. It is us, up to us as a community then to feel that social responsibility to ensure that everyone and everything that our community needs is taken care of. And so every Jew can... Everyone can help somewhat. And every Jew must do what it costs to keep Judaism alive. Those who can only do a little bit should do their best. Those who can afford to do more should do more. If we can, um, unfortunately today, our community, and this has been our story throughout much of our history, that uh, throughout basically all of our history, that the community never had as much as it needed. We always, the community as a whole, always struggled and always could have used more. And so the same is true today in every Jewish community around that we could be doing a lot more. We could use a lot more. We could, um, in theory, make education free if we had the ability to do so, uh, make um, education in our schools free. And so, and of course, to keep our community running and keep our community functioning, Judaism needs um, can always use more, and we have to do our best in order to help the community in that way. So to conclude, I've broken it up, and just to make it clear, because we covered, kind of moved from one thing to the next. So in conclusion, why is Judaism so expensive, was the question that we opened up with. And there are a number, we broke this down, there are a number of different parts. Firstly, we cannot charge for Torah and mitzvahs. Our relationship with God doesn't come with any fees. A Jew should never be charged to study Torah. A Jew should never be charged to do a mitzvah. Torah and mitzvahs do not charge. 
uh, do not cost. Just as Moses gave it to us for free, we must give it on for free. We must pass it on. We cannot charge for Torah and mitzvahs. Judaism is not a business. We cannot make money off Torah and mitzvahs. We should not be charging for people to study Torah. We should not be charging for people to go to shul. Those synagogues that do charge, I believe they are wrong. And I have told people who are in those synagogues and influential in those synagogues to stop it. I know somebody who did and uh, got his synagogue to stop it. And not only did the synagogue membership double, but um, they even ended up making much more income than they had previously. I wish every synagogue would end the practice of charging dues and fees and membership. Um, As I said, it's been the most harmful thing, I believe, to Judaism in the United States today. Um, We should not be charging Torah. We should not be charging for going to shul. We should not be charging people for being part of the Jewish community for a mitzvah. That's firstly. Secondly, we do need to, we were given our resources that we should use them for God, including the cost that it costs to do mitzvahs, to Um, And we should try because God is the most valuable thing to us and Judaism is the most valuable part of our lives. If we value God, not only should we be happy to pay for it, we should want to pay as much as we can and be able and uh, serve God in the best possible way. At the same time, keeping Judaism uh, alive, keeping the Jewish community functioning, Keeping the Jewish community thriving requires funds, communal funds. And for the same reason, we all have a responsibility to help with that and to do our best to help cover that, to help pay for that. And we have to remember that the money that was given to us is only on loan to us by God so that we use it for Him. And ultimately, He gave it to us in order for us to pass it on, in order for us to use it for a mitzvah. And we further believe that everything that we spend on God, because God is only giving it into our care, but it really belongs to Him, when we spend it on God, He gives it right back to us. The Talmud says, if you spend on a mitzvah, it comes straight back to you. Because if God wants you to have in your possession a certain amount of money, when you spend it on God, you spend it for Him, He'll give you back more. So whatever we spend for God, we will get back more. So no, we should not be charging for mitzvahs. Yes, um, it still will cost money as a community or anyone providing Torah and mitzvahs should not be charging, providing um, no one should be charged to come into shul or to be part of a Jewish community. Um, Yet, there is a cost associated with many mitzvahs and we should be happy to spend if we can and be able to spend the best as we can on a mitzvah and beautify it, hidur mitzvah in the best way we can. And we all have a responsibility to help keep the community functioning in order to be able to help provide all those mitzvahs and be able to provide services and be able to provide Torah classes for everybody else. So with that, we thank again our sponsors for today, Ken and Selma. And um, anyone who would like to sponsor a future week, um, let me know. Um, Two quick points. Firstly, next week, our topic is going... Next week, our topic...